It's go time. Welcome to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. I'm Don Charbon along with Pat Mooney and Heath Graham. As we move away from the 2022 season and go into this offseason already, we're seeing the signs of change. And if you want to call it, nothing is changing in Winnipeg. They're signing a lot of veterans. It looks like the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are in unfinished business mode right now. We saw late in the season, Zach Claris re-upped for a three-year contract extension. And then since the Grey Cup game, we now have Mike O'Shea, head coach, signing a three-year extension. Willie Jefferson signs for one more year, as does offensive lineman Patrick Newfeld. And Adam Bighill signs a two-year extension. So the the core group seems to be solidly staying in Winnipeg and gearing up for another run at the Grey Cup. Winnipeg's had this previously where they seem to make a lot of big signings. The people they want, they get on really quick and, and they sign early, which is good for the, that team, I think, in continuing to build upon what they have. Uh, this year, you're right, they didn't do it, so they're bringing back what they consider to be the key pieces for the next little while. And a very strong leadership group. You look at what Mike O'Shea has done as a head coach since joining Winnipeg, he has developed this culture in that locker room where everybody wants to be a part of it. And signing Jefferson, Big Hill, and Newfeld and Zach Kolaris, those are four big veteran leaders on that team and an important group in coaching and nurturing that next group of talent uh, to be competitive once again. Okay, my question is going to be, where do you find the money to nurture that next group of talent? Because you've already got your quarterback signed. You've got now your big rush end signed. I imagine if Jefferson signed that Jeff Coat, Jackson Jeff Coat will also sign. There's money being spent right now. Now, learning as I've done from Three Down Nation and talking to them how the cap works, you're going to see sometimes a flurry of activity at the end of the season if there's cap room left from this season so that they can put some of the money toward this year's cap as opposed to next year's. And that way, uh, somebody that comes available to you later, there would be the incentive if you're Winnipeg. Uh, Ottawa has signed eight players and they've got uh, Quan Bray among them. This is why you see some of these signings right now. Is if you're spending all this money now on veterans, where are you going to have the money left when it does come time next year? Because they still have to pay these salaries for the remainder of 2023, 24, 25. Where do you have the money available to, to bring along new talent? This is where your scouting comes into play as well. And we've seen, again, what Winnipeg has done with Danny McManus being the assistant GM helping out in the American side of things finding diamonds in the rough they that they have such as Dalton Schoen this year came in unheralded and led the league in touchdowns and receiving yards and was the runaway rookie of the year receivers running backs defensive backs you can have some turnover and you don't need to spend a lot of money if you are on top of things with scouting and recruitment and this is a situation again where Winnipeg traditionally spends money from the line out and finds those pieces later on that will fit in. 
I think it is important for the teams to to spend down the money that they have. But but I do agree with what you're saying, Don. You've got to be careful to make sure you're leaving some money to sign those up and coming players. Someone like Dalton Schoen, when his contract is renewable, he's going to be looking for an increase from. I would guess the league minimum, but but I mean maybe a little bit more than league minimum. But certainly, when you have that increase, you've got to leave room for some of those, or else, as as Heath you allude to, you start saying, okay, we can replace these ones. We're not going to spend big money there. When when we let go of uh, Kenny Lawler, we can bring someone like Dalton Schoen in, who's going to for the return on investment is such that we're, we won't lose as much. It's a high risk, high reward, and you can't catch lightning in a bottle every single time. Winnipeg has been very fortunate over these last few seasons that they have found these rookies that have come in and been all-stars and award winners in the league. And it's not something that is necessarily sustainable, but they seem to have the formula in place at the moment. It is a risk, though, if you go out and sign a whole lot of veterans. Now, this is also part of the problem in the cap era is trying to keep a team together because of the veterans that you need to sign and trying to find other room for other players that are up and coming who have already made the roster that deserve to be paid. Winnipeg has been fortunate. A lot of the players have taken hometown discounts, if you want to call that, to stay with a winning program. But at some point, they've got to look at their career and say, okay, I've done what I could. We didn't win the Grey Cup this year. Are we going to get back there? Are we not? Maybe I need to look elsewhere and make a few more dollars. Where that also becomes interesting is is when you have, as you said, Heath, uh, the line, and you're paying the offensive and defensive linemen big money. When they age out, which some of the bombers are going to be close to doing, do you then go out and look for a free agent to sign for a big contract? Is it all about maintaining the line, or is it about hopefully building that depth behind those individuals so that they can step in, take the next role. It's a great philosophical debate to have this, right? And I'm sure Kyle Walters and and now every other GM long-term signed Mike O'Shea are discussing this. Absolutely. And, And right now they're also looking to sign people as well. We've got teams going out and saying, okay, there's some Americans that we've signed. We saw a flurry of offensive linemen from Uh, different colleges that have signed with a variety of teams. We also uh, saw some of the teams signing local players. For example, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders just signed a place kicker punter from the U of S Huskies, David Soley. You know, he's going to have the opportunity to come into camp and compete for that roster position along with some draft picks who maybe chose to go back into the CIS and play one more year of their eligibility. So uh, we're excited about seeing some of those players play with your local team. And I think that's also where teams like Winnipeg and Saskatchewan have excelled in bringing their own people home to play in front of that home crowd. There has been some speculation that part of this is being done to ward off interest from the XFL and the USFL. Because the XFL, we think, is going to happen in 2023. The USFL, we know, will happen in 2023. I don't know if that's necessarily a driving force, especially when it comes to veteran players. But it's something that has to be accounted in the overall scheme of things because they do offer another opportunity. And for some of the players, maybe they want to, especially the uh, American players, maybe they want to be in the States and play there. The problem that I've always had with the springtime football that they play 
is that it's no different than playing for the CFL in 2023. You're really not going to be available for the NFL anyway at, in the fall because if you've started all season, you've got nothing left to play in the NFL. The odd guy may make it anyway, but they're going to be reserve player long before they'll be starter. You raise a great point, Don, about veteran players versus up-and-coming players and these competitive, competing leagues. A lot of the CFL veterans are well-established in this league. They are making decent money. You, I, I think of somebody like a Brandon Banks, Jagarid Davis, for, for two in the East, and certainly Jefferson, Stanley Bryant, Jamarcus Hardrick. The list goes on and on of established veterans, but the draw is going to be now filling an additional 20-ish rosters with players. And you're going to be looking at those prospects, the players that have gone undrafted in the NFL, that might be a good fit for the CFL. Here's an opportunity for a couple of upstart American football leagues to try to pull some of that talent their way as well. So I, I think you're going to see a lot more competition for unsigned draft eligible players coming up this year. I'm curious about that. And here's what my thinking is. If you're going with the notion that you're going to be at an NFL camp, you're not interested in the XFL, the USFL, or the CFL at this point. If you make it through, let's say, the second or third week of camp and you've played in a preseason game or two and coach says, sorry, but we don't have room for you, who's left that could use you? That's only the CFL. So I don't necessarily see this as a critical mass issue for the CFL. At the time that these players would become available again, i.e. at a time when NFL cuts are happening, the only league of consequence is the CFL. I, I, I agree. It bodes well for the CFL to be in that situation. And I think it also bodes well for players, knowing that the CFL contracts as they stand now uh, are generally allowing them, even if they have a two-year contract, to go and seek employment opportunities in the NFL in the ensuing year. Many players uh, have been released from their contracts. They get the opportunity to go try out. And after camp, if they are, as you say, Don, cut late in camp, they generally return to the team that let them go. It's a show of good faith. Well, it's more than a show of good faith because the guys that leave in the window that's available to them are contractually bound to come back. It does, but even the ones who, who make the practice roster and sit on it for a year, they may no longer be eligible. And, and we do see a, a good majority come back. There's the odd one who comes back and looks for a paycheck. Duke Williams would be an example this past year. When he returns, instead of going back where he came from, he chose to go where the money was. And, and you can't fault a player for doing that either. It's a limited career and they only have so many years to collect the big paycheck. So if you can get it and you're that caliber, go for it. Well, you're not making the same money in the XFL or the USFL that you make in the CFL. If you're looking to ply your trade and if you're hoping that the NFL will come knocking, the CFL in the interim or for a whole career would be better for you because of the revenue stream that you'd be attached to. So as we were talking earlier about some of the signings, um, my son-in-law, Adam Soley, uh, let us know this week that his brother, David Soley, who is a place kicker punter with the U of S, he was last year named a CIS All-Star, first team this year, second team All-Star. He was recently signed by the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and he's going to have, it looks like, a, a good opportunity to come into camp and compete 
Uh, and it's nice to see players from the hometown team and the hometown province stay within the province and have the opportunity. He was invited for a look-see last year. He was not invited to the Rough Riders camp, but after having one more year of CIS eligibility, he had a great year this year and, and gets the opportunity to show what he can do with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and camp in 2023. It's pretty cool to have that close a connection to the podcast. The 2022 season was a fascinating season. It was the first one in a three that we've finally had a full season. And it had its storylines to it. And I'm just curious for you guys, what are the biggest takeaways from the 2022 CFL season, be it regular season or playoffs? What I call the return of the returner. It was a really exciting season in special teams play this year. We had multiple returners that had more than one kick return for a touchdown. We saw some emerging stars. Uh, some of the numbers out there, Janarian Grant had two punt returns and a kick return for touchdowns in the regular season. And back-to-back weeks in the playoffs had a 92-yard punt return in the Western Final, 102-yard return in the Grey Cup. Mario Alford with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders had two kick returns, 112-yard missed field goal, as well as a punt return touchdown. Chandler Worthy had two kick return touchdowns, averaged 23.9 yards on kick returns. And the emergence of Jalen and Tyson Philpot, both averaging over 27 yards on kick returns. So some exciting nuances to the game and the ability to bust the game open. And there's four teams right now that have some standouts in that return game. You know, I was fascinated, as I think we all were, by the play of Nathan Rourke this year. He was an outstanding quarterback. Uh, BC games were must-watch television if you weren't right at the game, and, and I wanted to be at every game that he played. What an outstanding year, and, and while it's not his rookie year, for the first time becoming the starter, he stepped up and he moved right to the level of elite. Having said that, I, I, across the league, I think the quarterback play seemed to be a bit down, and I'm not sure if that's because defenses are becoming more dominant or, or if it's just the quarterbacks that we have. I mean, certainly Nathan Rourke was elite. I think Zach Kolaris would be in that area as the MOP as well. But then outside of that, uh, we, we saw quarterbacks like Jake Mayer improve, but we saw a number of other quarterbacks seem to regress this year. And I would put Cody Fajardo and Dane Evans and Vernon Adams, and because he was benched, I think Bo Levi Mitchell also may have been quarterbacks who at one point may have been in the elite or at least the consideration of moving towards elite and seem to regress this year. We have others like Trevor Harris and, and McLeod Bethel Thompson and Jeremiah Mazzoli who, you know, they, they were solid but, but didn't really take it to the next level. And I think that at times, while offense went up, the quarterback play didn't seem to be as spectacular as an overall group as, as we have seen in the past. Home, not sweet home. In 2022, home teams lost the majority of games. And if you want to put it on three, Saskatchewan, Edmonton, and Ottawa combined for 24 of the home team losses in the schedule. 44 of 88 times the home teams lost. 
it's a strange thing because traditionally in the CFL and in fact in most sports franchises at least 55% if not 60 to 65% of games in a season are won by the home team and yet this is the second year in a row where the home team hasn't prospered. A subset of that of course is that Edmonton and Ottawa didn't win a home game in 2022. The last time that happened that two teams or one from each division did not win at home in a season? Never. My second takeaway from this season is the importance of spending money on the lines and building out from there. We've seen it be the successful formula for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers over the last few seasons, and it continued this year with, once again, the outstanding offensive lineman, Stanley Bryant, the rest of that offensive line, the two ends on defense. But you also saw it with the Grey Cup winning Toronto Argonauts. Sean Oakman and Jagarid Davis on that defensive line were standouts this season. And the Calgary Stampeders are the other team that really comes to mind with strong lines. You got Sean Lemon on the defensive line and that outstanding offensive line that led the league in rushing, gave up the fewest sacks. The importance in building a contender seems to be to not be afraid to spend money on linemen. As I spoke to earlier about finding some of those discount players at the defensive back and receiver positions, but you don't want to skimp when you're spending money on those lines. My second takeaway kind of goes back to the first one. I said the quarterback play was maybe not what it once was, but I I think we do have to attribute that somewhat to defensive schemes and defensive players and the way the coaches provide the majority of the players that are on the roster are defensive specialists. Most teams will carry only one backup offensive lineman, sometimes one receiver, and, and yet you look at the defense and you've got probably three backup defensive linemen and they, they tend to specialize a little bit more. And I think that that emphasis on defense we've seen since Chris Jones has been in the league, um, bringing those specialists into play and, and putting more Americans uh, there than than Canadians has certainly, I think, impacted the play of, of the defense. And it continues to be somewhat dominant. The defense often forces the offense uh, to, to, to move away from their player, to dump the ball off and not necessarily see the extension of the field that we may have seen if we go back in history I think of the the 90s where quarterbacks in the early 90s tended to fire away and seemed to be able to move the ball around and and now they have to move around the defense to make those things happen it seems more and more so uh, to me I think that 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 we need some more creativity in offense we need to figure out what it is defenses are doing and somehow teams need to be able to potentially limit what you do. And I, I get that you can't have as many offensive line. There's only so many to be playing and you don't rotate them through like defense, but I'd like to see that change. I'd like to see offense scheming, allow for more creativity and be able to dictate to the defense what they need to do as opposed to the defenses dictating what the offense is going to take on those three or four yard dump downs. and National reconciliation. We had the British Columbia Lions change their helmet logo to reflect a First Nations artist version of that logo, and they carried it with them from September right through to the end of the season. Of course, we had the tragic events at James Smith Cree Nation and how the Rough Riders and the Blue Bombers, as best they could with the helmet decal to try to raise awareness. The CFL 
is doing more and more and more all the time with reconciliation, and they need to be applauded for this. This is the CFL is doing a wonderful job at reaching out and trying to make connections. Case in point to that as well, Don, is the national anthem at the Grey Cup was performed in English, French, and Cree, which has never been done in a championship game, certainly before. We have seen some Indigenous language incorporated into some of the games earlier this season as well, but that was a real nod to reconciliation and the land acknowledgement that went with it as well. So uh, I think that's a fantastic point, and the CFL should certainly be recognized We can't sit here and say there isn't more work to be done, but they are certainly taking steps in the right direction. And my third takeaway from this season is the effect of the crippling coach cap. We are seeing teams get a little bit handcuffed. Saskatchewan Rough Riders, for example, I believe would have done some more house cleaning this offseason were it not for the cap. We saw Jason Moss move on and a couple of the offensive coaches, but the general manager, the head coach stay in place. We see the Ottawa Red Blacks in an interim head coach position looking for a new coach. Chris Jones inherited some coaching staff when he came in and signed his big deal in Edmonton as well. Not only does it it hinder some of those decisions in letting coaches go, it also has taken away some of those positional coaches. You have a, a slimmed down coaching staff and that may be part of why the offenses are struggling a little bit as well. You've got guys that are taking on multiple roles in offensive coaching and not necessarily each specific part of an offense having a designated coach. Having watched the season and and viewing the CFL right through from the inception, watching the pregame all the way through to an outstanding Grey Cup being played, I think the CFL is now officially back. It's a league that is loved by the fans that love the CFL. I think it worked very hard to attract new fans to the CFL. I think the partnership with Genius Sports has tried to attract that next level. And when we see things like the Great Cup, having, you know, people who are online playing games, bringing different people into the venue and and being able to access the sport in the way that that next generation accesses it, I think it's been great. And, And I know that the league itself is now on strong footing. There was lots of concern two years ago about the CFL. We spent a whole offseason kind of talking about where do we go. And I think that can now be put aside and, and we can celebrate that the CFL is on solid footing, has a strong fan base, has a quality product that people are willing to pay to watch and see, and, and they're going to get a, a great entertainment experience for what they do. Uh, to me, I, I think it's no longer a case that, that fans aren't invested It's clear they are. TSN ratings were up 7%, and at its high point, over 8 million people were watching that football game. Once again, the Grey Cup finale did not disappoint. It was gut-wrenching. It was amazing. It was unbelievable. But it was the Canadian Football League. The final three minutes from... Toronto taking the lead with a touchdown with three and a half minutes to go and then getting an interception and then a block kick and then looks like the Bombers have lost control of the game because they're third and long and there's a sack and all of a sudden there's a face mask and then another reprieve and then the Bombers get another chance with a field goal and it's blocked 
and watching Sean Oakman right after that block of that kick start crying is what we don't recognize in these players is that for many of them, this may be the first championship they've ever won at any level. And for him, I'm wondering if that was the case. We saw Enoch Moamba, who was a double award winner, most outstanding Canadian, most outstanding player in the game, crying on stage. Why? Because of everything he went through to get there. He went in his rookie year and didn't get a chance to win it until 11 years later. All of these storylines coalescing, it was just an experience that I will cherish for the rest of my life. That game, being at it, being a part of it, was just amazing. One note I'd like to add about the Toronto Argonauts as well. We and other CFL fans talk a lot about the lack of support for the Toronto Argonauts. MLSE's involvement. We need to give them a little round of applause here as well. The Grey Cup was present at a Maple Leafs game. It was also present at a Toronto Raptors game. They had a huge turnout of fans for their Grey Cup celebration as well. This was maybe what was needed post-pandemic to rekindle some of that football spirit in Toronto. And I hope that this championship season is enough to get things turned around and headed back in the right direction for the Argos. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.